Hello, and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast, where every other Friday we take a deeper dive into the one-sentence reviews on shouldigoseeit.com. This week, we'll be discussing Lightyear, Elvis, and Hustle. I'm your host, Bill George. With me, as always, AJ Rebecca and super producer Craig Stanton. Hello, gentlemen. What's going on, Bill? Do you know if you read those, the way you read them, it sounded like it was telling a story, like almost like a Mad Like lips. Lightyear, Elvis, and Hustle? I yeah. can see that. I could see that. We, we could map sure. that. Bill, both Craig and I are uh, <coughs> a little under the weather today. Playing so. hurt. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I'm gonna. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna put you guys in the jam sport and then just backpack this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be carrying the team. <laughs> oh boy. Um, By all means. Yeah. Do it. Please carry me up that hill. Um, all right. Before we get into movies, news, anything like that. Sure. Any follow-ups? What happened this past week? Yeah, actually. How's your, how's your personal life? First life's great. Thank you for asking. Uh, That's great. Movie life. I revisited a movie that I saw in theaters a few years ago. Liked it a lot, uh, but it had been a while, and I decided, you know what? I feel like revisiting it, so I rewatched uh, First Man with Ryan Gosling the as Neil Armstrong. The story of Buzz Aldrin. Neil Armstrong. Close. Man on the moon. Uh, and let me tell you something. It was so like I loved it to begin with, and I appreciate it even more second time around. Wow! Highly recommend if you missed it, um, or if you saw it in IMAX, which I did. It had the space scenes shot in IMAX, which were all incredible. But uh, your boy Damien Chazelle, who directed it. He shot almost all of the other scenes very close up, very handy cam. And when I saw it in IMAX, it was hard to watch because it was so close up and shaky and like off-putting. So this was one of those movies, the rare instance where watching it again at home, it actually played a lot better because the smaller screen, I could like actually take in the whole frame of what he was shooting. Sure. The space stuff, obviously, you can't compete with IMAX. But it's still, if you have a good setup at home, worked incredibly well. So first man... Great film from a couple years ago. Uh, I mean, I'm a big space guy, Neil Armstrong fan. I read the book it's based on. I, I'm kind of a captive audience for that. There's a little bit of a, but a, a bias. There's a yeah, big time bias in there. But even so, big space uh, guy. Big yeah, space even guy. so, highly recommend. Ryan Gosling gives a hell of a performance, but it's all very understated, just like Armstrong himself. So he plays it true to character, but it's not showy. It's it's all subtle and in his face. So like it, he wasn't nominated, I don't think, or if he was, he certainly didn't win. Um, but it, it's a great performance. It's a great film. I now could see myself rewatching it over and over again now that I gave it a second shot. So highly recommend. Quick question. Yeah. Was uh, Neil like an asshole in real life? No, no, not at all. He was just very, he was very reserved, very quiet. Wasn't Buzz kind of the like cowboy? Yeah, Buzz was the kind of loose, the loose cannon. Yeah, exactly. He's Buzz is the guy that punched somebody in the face. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say that didn't recently he just punch like punch a, a few years. Punch person? This was like probably ten years ago at this point. But yes, it's one of the greatest clips. Someone on the approached internet. him, uh, convinced the moon landing was fake, and telling Buzz, "Admit it, admit it, admit it." He was like walking into a hotel yeah. or something. It was like on the street, like and he just cold cocked him. him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gave him a nice jab, like left. I think it might have been a left hand straight arm jab. So good. Wow. At least. What about you, AJ? You uh, revisit anything lately or watch anything this week? Yeah, the other night uh, in getting over this cold, hopped up on just a 
borderline illegal amount of Sudafed. Sure. Uh, I couldn't sleep, and I went into my Apple uh, library, and I rewatched Inglorious Bastards. Oh, one of our favorites. Yeah. Wow. In its in its entirety, from the guy yeah. that can't complete one episode of Stranger Things. <laughs> yeah. Per night? Yeah. No, I completed. That's incredible. <laughs> I was all the way to completion on that. Uh, man. How's it hold up? It's been a few years for me. Uh, it holds up really well. Uh, for some reason, I was like dialed into Brad Pitt's Brad Pitt's performance yeah, in this, yeah. and it was like didn't realize how good it was. Mm-hmm. Also, that first, uh, they call them chapters, the first chapter in the French farmhouse oh. is probably yes. one of the greatest scenes of, of I, I can't even. Film history. Yeah, it just, it's so good. Um, a couple things that like turned me off. Um, what's his name's Boston accent? Uh, yeah. Just- I was going to say when you, when we've talked about it holding up, I was going to say the last time I watched it, I still remember Eli Roth. As Eli Roth, uh, as that character's name, I forget. Um, the Bear, Bear Jew, Jew is still the yeah. weakest part of that movie by a long shot. And I just don't get it. Like, yeah. where does it come from? Also, when he makes a reference to Ted Williams, Ted Williams had only been in the league for like fourteen months. <laughs> little baseball, little fact. Yeah, where, yeah, where was this? Craig? Where was the script supervisor on that one? I know Ted Williams was in the war. Yeah, that's and another thing. He was then drafted. It's a pilot. Yes. Yeah. Which I'm like weird. Anyways, that, st- still holds up. Yeah, that's a movie of of scenes, like like the scene, the Christoph Waltz, two of his scenes, the opening one you mentioned, and then the other one where he's talking um, with her on the at the restaurant. And the thing that I still love about the movie, my favorite scene is um, Fassbender uh, and them getting oh. caught by with the, Operation Kino with, with the, the three, three glasses. And the, he's smoking the cigarette, yeah. and he breaks his accent. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, if we're going to go out, you don't mind me speaking the Queens, yeah. do you? Oh and I God. was like, fuck yes. Oh, I love that scene. Um, so, yeah, it was good. It was a good rewatch. Nice. Love um, that. Let's go to the news. Yeah, what's in the news, AJ? According to Deadline, I'm not sure if that's the magazine, TV show, or online publication, uh, Taika Waititi says his Star Wars movie will be something new. Involving new characters who will expand the world. Bill, are you excited at the prospect of a non-Skywalker Star Wars movie? And is Taika the right director for the job? Honest to God, if it wasn't Taika, I would say pass. But he, but to me, he has earned the benefit of the doubt. And uh, he has done such an amazing job with the Thor movies. Jojo Rabbit, I think we both liked. Um, he's, he's just a unique... Um, he has he has a unique voice in the landscape. So him taking over something like Star Wars, which has gotten not only stale but rancid uh, in ways, uh, I, that's exciting because it's him. But but the tricky part to me is if he is going to make it brand new, new characters. If it's so far afield from the Star Wars that we know, then why even call it Star Wars? You know what I mean? Like it's going to get to a point where I like I'd rather see him make a new space. IP. I feel like we could use more of those versus just everything being Star Wars. Um, so I, I'm curious, like, if it's not connected whatsoever, or if there's going to be some tangential connection, or is it going to be fan service connection? Like, I'm curious what he does. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll see it certainly. What about you? I get what you're saying. Weird take though, because like, I'm just trying to think in my brain. Like, for example, like the Final Fantasy games, they're all in different worlds with different characters, but they're all under the same name because it's just the way that 
the studio had collectively created yeah. this universe. That's so I, I could imagine them being like, hey, from the studio that brought you Star Wars, a film in space that isn't Star Wars. <laughs> I feel like that would be kind of weird. Good my, point. Good point. My take on this is Star Wars, uh, to me, have always been these space soap operas that led with drama that had a little bit of comedy, dramedy, if you will. I feel like Taika is the opposite, where it's comedy with infused with a little bit of drama, so a comdramedy. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Coin that phrase. No yep. one steal it. Register trademark. I just don't know tonally what happens in his universe if he sets that as like the fa- framework or foundation, how people build off of that with that same kind of tone of voice um, and same approach. Um, but maybe that's what we need. Maybe we just need this whole different kind of take to get us out of the, the Skywalker lore and into something new. Yeah, I, if he brings what he brought to Thor to it, I think that'd be great. But at the same time, he's already done it by bringing it to Thor. So I get nervous it might be repetitive. But... Uh, but we'll see. Yeah. Wait, uh, can I ask you a follow-up question? Sure. Is this his movie because those two fuck fuckheads from uh, Game of Thrones bungled the whole thing? Uh, well, so the Game of Thrones people uh, were at the time of the Thrones final season being airing. Yes. They were set up to take on their own trilogy that would be non-Skywalker. Yeah. And then they got cut from from the project. Um, okay. So now Taika has his, I believe wow. he has his own movie. I think it's just an individual movie. I don't believe they're setting him up for a trilogy. I could be wrong. Okay. Um, but I believe they're just setting up Taika to have his own Star Wars movie. You know who needs their own Star Wars trilogy? Who's that? Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah, Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah, she's been doing a hell of a job directing, I'll tell you that. Uh, and she's done a couple episodes of uh, Mandalorian, and I yep. think she knows the world really well, and she has seems like a great relationship with uh uh favreau and dave filoni so i i wouldn't be surprised if in a few years she gets her own kind of stab at at creating a universe within star wars i could see that as well all right aj next news story kit harrington is reportedly attached to star in a new spin-off show set in the world of game of thrones with a, <laughs> with a sequel project focused on Jon snow Unlike House of Dragons, which is the Throne spinoff based on George R. R. Martin's creative backstory, the Jon Snow show is unique in being a follow-up to the controversial Thrones finale, in which, spoilers, Jon Snow is exiled beyond the wall after committing regicide. AJ, are you interested in this Jon Snow show? Is FDR still president? <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> The dude went to a fucking psych- psychiatric facility <laughs> after this after the series ended because he couldn't separate himself from the character and uh, had a hard time living a normal life. Kid Harrington? Yeah, not being Jon Snow. I thought Whoa. that was I thought that was like exhaustion or was like, <laughs> yeah, from, like a, from pacing the wall <laughs> yeah. all night. So, uh yeah. For him to now like be like and this is what's going to end up happening. He is going to get put himself in a situation where he will only know and only play Jon Snow and his career will be completely over because that's all he's pigeonholed himself into doing. 
Yeah, I, I, yeah, the typecasting issue is a problem for sure. Uh, for me, I mean, I would be more interested in this than House of Dragons because of my noted disdain for sequels by, def- or excuse me, prequels by default. And this is a sequel, so inherently, I'm a little more interested in it. Um, but you know, and it has different showrunners. We talked about the, the failure of Benioff and Weiss uh, with Thrones itself, so it's not them. So that also gives me a little hope. Uh. But it's not it's not working off Martin text, which we know was the downfall of Thrones. So it's what I'm saying. That was the big thing too was that they couldn't they could not work with original content, and now they're f- going to have a whole series based on original content. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm cautiously. I, actually, I'm not even cautiously optimistic. I am reserving my judgment until I see a trailer. You sound yeah. You sound extremely skeptical. Is what I, I would <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. To commemorate the 25th anniversary of Michael Mann's seminal classic Heat, the Tribeca Film Festival held a Q&A panel that featured stars Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. The event also promoted Heat 2, a novel written by Mann that acts as both prequel and sequel to the film. When asked who would play his character if Heat 2 ever made it to the screen, Al Pacino instantly said, Timothy Chalamet. Bill, you've seen the heat more times than Michael Mann himself. <laughs> Do you agree with Pacino's pick? Um, no, I don't. I think Timothy Chalamet is a little played out, and I don't think he would be good as a young Vincent Hanna, which is the name of Pacino's character. Um, so I would not pick Chalamet. I also wouldn't make this novel a movie. I mean, I guess I need to listen to the novel or read the novel first, but Heat is perfect and you can't improve on perfection. It's like top 10, top 5 favorite movie of all time. I watch it every few months, I would say. So, I mean, I'll I'll try the book. I feel like I have to try the book when it comes out in August, but I'm a little hesitant. Uh, And the idea of making that into a movie is maddening to me. But with all that being said, if I had to, gun to my head, cast a young Vincent Hanna, you know who I would think I would go with? Is Zac Efron. I think if you give what? him a good, I think if you give him a good dramatic role, I think he could pull it off, and I think he can do the same manic energy that Al Pacino brought to that role in Heat. So that's my pick. Yeah, really. I got a good one that just jumped into my head. Yeah, what? Joe Keery, who's the kid who play who the kid who kind of looks like AJ who plays Steve Harrington on Stranger Things. <laughs> Hair dude. That's a good. That's a good call. I could see that. Couldn't he be a young a young Pacino? Yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad. Did you ever think that he looks like AJ? Oh, constantly. That's all I think yeah. when he's on screen. <laughs> I send AJ pictures Text all the time. All the time. <laughs> okay, just about yeah. to make sure we're on the same page on that one. <laughs> uh, AJ, any thoughts? Well, first of all, I've never seen Heat. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean... I like, assumed you had every time yeah. I talk about it. I try yeah, to yeah. squeeze it into every episode of the podcast. I assume yeah. that you know Heat. I know. Uh... A young Al Pacino. Oh, well, how old was Al Pacino when he came out? Forty. Forties uh, or fifties. So you need someone like thirties, twenties. What are we talking about here? I guess. I mean, I don't know. I haven't heard the book. I say here because I listen to audiobooks or read books. Uh, <laughs> I haven't heard the book yet, so I don't know. But if it's supposed to be a prequel, then you would think he'd be coming up as a young detective in the in his twenties or thirties. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really care. To, to, to be honest, I mean, I've never seen Heat, and I don't. I can't look at Al Pacino's face and be like, oh, this is a young Al Pacino. I'm going to go with Craig's suggestion. I think it looks 
that's great. I will never read the book. I'll never read the audiobook, and I probably won't watch the movie. So in terms of like news stories, like tiered <laughs> lists, like D, maybe yeah, the, F. The, okay, this one was for me, AJ. You got to let me have this one, okay? It's, yeah, I'll let you have it. You, you, If you say Timothy Chalamet is incorrect, Bill, it's the worst. <laughs> that's the worst choice I could ever think of. Thank you, AJ. I appreciate your support. But wait, just to be clear about this, Heat 2, not a movie. Correct. Just a book. Just a There's book. no plans to make it a there movie. Is there is no rumors nothing of it being in the movie. Wor- nothing in the works. Novel. It was just Michael Mann doing fan fiction. Basically, basically, yep. Is the but the but the book is published. It, His fanfic is published. It will be in August. It comes out in August. Gotcha. Okay. Right in the gotcha. old summer heat. AJC heat. It's your homework assignment. Was it four hours long? <laughs> it's three. Okay, it's three. No, I'm not gonna do that. Watch it in installments. I could barely watch Stranger Things. All right, uh, let's go to. Uh, should I go see it? Let's. All right, Bill, we got three movies to talk about tonight. Uh, Lightyear, Elvis, and Hustle. Yep. Let's start at the top of the list. Yes, sir. Lightyear, according to imdb.com, while spending years attempting to return home, marooned space ranger Buzz Lightyear encounters an army of ruthless robots commanded by Zerg who are attempting to steal his fuel source. Bill, should I go see it? No, AJ, this is a rare Pixar no for me. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Uh, slightly rattled. <laughs> Where do you want to... Okay, first of all. Yeah. Let's... What's the setup of the movie? Because I know Buzz Lightyear as a toy voiced by one of the greatest actors of our time, Tim the Toolman Taylor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sure. But this is a young Lightyear voiced by a Hollywood heartthrob Chris Evans? Chris Evans, correct. Pride of Wayland, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. So are we following Buzz Lightyear, the toy that Andy had, but when he was not in a package? Or are we following this off the character of Buzz Lightyear in Andy's world that the toy voiced by Tim Allen was made off of? So... We. This is what was the biggest question mark I had going into the film as well, and they answer it right up front. They got title slides ready to go to answer the question, and I actually think that the conceit they came up with to make this movie was actually really clever. So the title slides say that in 1995, Andy was given a Buzz Lightyear toy based on one of his favorite movies. This is that movie. So it, the idea oh, is you're watching genius. a movie, presumably made in 1995, that Andy would have seen and bought the toy from. That's fucking wild. Clever. Super clever. Super clever concept. I was like into it. And then the movie opens, and the opening sequence is by far the most entertaining and engaging. And it has a lot of style, and you have Chris Evans now uh, doing Buzz, and he's doing a lot of the lines that they make the lines for the toy. Like, the toy has to say stuff from the movie. That's why they do the toy. So, you're watching the movie, and he's using all these classic buzz lines. And I was like, this is brilliant. This is such a smart start. And then it goes off the rails, and it's not very good. But but I do think the concept was clever. But the first thing that I noticed was it not being Tim Allen was way more distracting than I thought it would be. Oh, I, I wouldn't be able to get past that. I didn't. Because you're listening to the classic lines that you know by heart by now. 
and they're not the same voice. It's like slightly different. And Chris Evans is doing like a quasi Tim Allen impression. So it's like almost there, but not. And I just can't help but think, why is it not Tim Allen? Either, I mean, maybe they approached him and he said no. I don't know, which is his choice. Or I more like think that they wanted to get butts in the seats and they wanted to put Chris Evans' name on a poster because Chris Evans is a hot item right now in Hollywood. And there's no other big names in the cast at all. Um, So I think it might have just been a marketing ploy. And Chris Evans is talented. Don't get me wrong. Chris Evans is talented. He does a good job. But the fact that it's not Tim Allen is very strange. Um, So yeah, so it goes from that cool opening into the actual story. And the story is bizarre. It's gutsy, though. I'm going to give him some props because the movie actually uses uh, time dilation, like from Interstellar, where when he goes on these missions, the planet that he's on, uh, the time for them moves faster than him. And he has to... So the opening is the the spaceship holding everybody, like this crew of thousands of people, scientists, astronauts, etc. Crash land, and they can't get off the planet because they don't have enough fuel. Or they don't have a stable fuel source, whatever. So Buzz has to, has to test out different fuel combinations to try to find a stable fuel that will work. But every time he does that, like four years pass on the planet, even though it is minutes for him. And so he keeps doing it and doing it and doing it. And then all the people that he knows and loves age and eventually die. And then he's kind of left as like a man without a country, so to speak, because he's still young. Oh, typical Pixar, killing fucking friends and family. <laughs> exactly. In the, first in the opening. So okay. it's, it's a very gutsy move to do that. Um, but what ends up really taking away from the film is that setup leads to a movie that takes place entirely on this one planet where they are marooned. And so instead of watching the adventures of Space Ranger, Buzz Lightyear, uh, in uncharted space, bopping around to different planets and seeing different interesting places and creatures, you're just looking at a rocky planet, mostly at night, the entire movie. And mm. it's, just, it's, a, it's an odd choice that I don't think worked well. Um, and I think that hurt the pacing because it felt like I was in the same spot the whole time. So the pacing felt very off and very slow. And the fact that it's a kid's movie, that's not a good combination. Well, it seems like, it, I mean, as much as it's a Pixar movie for children, it seems like it's more of fan service for the people who watched Toy Story in 1995 and throughout the years. Yeah, true. I mean, there's definitely a lot of that, too. The other thing that's odd about Pixar movies these days is the texture work and the environments are borderline photoreal. Like, they're so good at what they do. The craftsmanship is unbelievable. But the characters are still, like, plastic people like they don't they don't try to make them real they obviously have a stylized world that they live in uh and it just it's starting to feel like weird to me i noticed it in one of the last movies as well but this where this movie it really stands out to me as just a, just getting weird choices well you what do you mean so like, like this, the big like the cartoony like big chin yes like that yes stuff? big chin big eyes but in like a world that looks like they're on like a, a moon or like, yeah it looks like the vegetation looks real the planet looks real the atmospherics are incredible like it looks photo real until the character steps in a frame and then you're like oh right it's a cartoon like it's yeah. it's just weird choices like that um I think I know the answer to this question, but it seems like if we're putting this on a tier list of Pixar, <laughs> bottom of the barrel? Towards the bottom, for sure. And I think the real reason that I feel like it is, is Pixar sets the bar super high, first of all, right? We know that. But also, this doesn't cover any 
new or interesting ground. So like when you think about a movie like this, it's built around having a message. There's, there's, this is one thing they do really well. There's a very developed arc for Buzz's character. They're telling a story. They're having, there's a profound message you know, for kids um, and adults alike. And when I think about the message in the film, I think about, and I think about the Pixar rating, when you think about something like Inside Out, where it teaches kids and adults that it's okay to be sad and like it's part of life, it's like a profound mess. Like I saw that I saw that movie once in theaters, and I still can think about it. I can still remember it vividly. Like it's a profound movie. And then you look at this movie, and the message is like teamwork is good. Trust others because Buzz likes to take everything on himself. He doesn't trust his teammates. And it's like not only is that kind of a blah message that we've already like we know, but it's also they already covered that in the Toy Story movie, like where Buzz and Woody have to learn to trust one another. Like we have covered this theme with this character already once before. So it just, it felt very just going through the motions to me and I just didn't enjoy it. It wasn't funny enough. I mean, there's a few good sight gags. He's got a robot cat that's pretty funny, but overall it just didn't do enough to merit its existence to me. All right, Bill, next we have Elvis. According to IMDb.com, Elvis is Baz Luhrmann's biopic of Elvis Presley from his childhood to becoming a rock and movie star in the 1950s while maintaining a complex relationship with his manager, Colonel Tom Parker. Bill, should I go see it? This is a tough one. AJ, This I, I wrestled with this a bit, but I got to give it a no at the end of the day. Oh, Okay. To know. Uh, because the movie itself is a fucking disaster. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's tough. It's a tough watch. Uh, cr- uh, cradle to grave story. Cradle to toilet story. Like what? How, how far are we <laughs> going? Yeah. So that's a problem with it. That's a major problem with it. Um, there's no through line to the movie. Like it, it is cradle to grave. So you know. We've talked about this a million times, like modern, better biopics tend to pick a main event or main theme and really stick to that. And and they don't necessarily need to cover someone's entire life. But I also understand with Elvis, you know, he had a very uh, full life with a lot of different milestones along it and a lot of different reinventions of his persona and you know his brand and all that stuff and himself and his music. So I get that they wanted to cover a lot of it. I get that. Um, so I didn't necessarily mind that, but the problem was there was no uh, overarching theme that they stuck to. So like when you think about Lincoln, throughout the entire movie of Lincoln, you know his motivation is he wants to solidify his legacy. He wants the amendment passed so that the slaves are free and it's not just winning the war. Or if you watch The Social Network, it's about him wanting to impress and win back the girl which is like it opens with the breakup and it ends with him like pathetically hitting the refresh button until she accepts his request. Like there is a through line to the entire movie that you can follow. And this does not feel like that at all. The story of this movie is just all over the place, touching in on random parts of his life. And they, the framing of the movie is a disaster because it's, it's narrated sometimes by the Tom Hanks character, Colonel Parker, who is his manager and it starts with Colonel Parker's death in 1995 and then jumps back in time with Hanks kind of Ugh. narrating from his perspective instead of Elvis's yeah. perspective. But they only use that framing device sometimes. And they also montage over 
his rise to fame, which is like the most interesting thing, like of him becoming the biggest act in the world. They basically just montage right over it. And that. So where do they dive deep? Like what parts of his life do they, they un- unpack and dive deeper into? Well, that's the problem is they don't get, they touch on things, but don't get super deep on any of it. So they Give touch. Me an example. They touch on him taking essentially black music um, and sort of making it his own and then becoming popular because he's a white artist doing black music. Okay. So they touch on that. Wait, he didn't write those songs? <laughs> that's a joke. They touch on that and they show him growing up in Memphis, growing up poor, being on Beale Street and around that music. And they show him sort of taking it on and, and combining it with his own country elements to it to make it what it was and made it so popular. So they touch on it, but they don't dive super deep and they don't really take him to task for it at all. They kind of just say it's part of his upbringing. Yep. And they touch on the political unrest and the changes in the country that sort of upend his career before he sort of transitions his, his career a bit. So they, they show, you know, MLK getting shot and RFK getting shot and people reacting to that. So there's a little bit of like the political unrest in the sixties and like his role in it or not, but they don't like dive into any of it. It's just kind of like ideas that they touch on and then they move on to the next big musical number or whatever. Um, They get into him and the pills slightly. They never get into the food um, element and the, the the narration would have you believe that the story is really about Elvis's love of the fans and that him being on stage and playing music is what drove him and that ultimately drove him to his death to a degree but they don't really dramatize that they just kind of say it it's it's said more than it's shown um, but really it was his love of barbiturates and uh, grilled cheese sandwiches with <laughs> peanut butter on them yeah. yeah well the other thing that I didn't realize I so I went to a early showing of it that was a fan event quote unquote um in like a dolby theater which was nice and they have an opening when these fan events they have like little opening videos where they the cast or crew like welcome you to the showing blah 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 whatever but elvis presley's daughter was in one of those videos talking about how this is the best portrayal of her father and that's when i realized oh this movie was made with complete uh sanction from the elvis estate yeah which is automatically going to skew the way they tell his story so yeah they do not get into the overeating they do not get into any of that stuff and they kind of just end with a newsreel and titled cards about what happened to everybody after and the whole thing let's um, very cliche let's talk about what's good about the film I mean the best part is Austin Butler as Elvis he is to use our favorite adjective he is electric is he uh, electric electric uh, after the first hour of this movie, I just thought I was watching Elvis. Like now, when I think of Elvis, I think of him. Like he gives an all-time performance. Completely inhabits the role with a shitty script, mind you. He's still able to like make make this role uh, come alive. And so that is why I was so torn on the yes or no, because there have been plenty of other movies that I have given yeses to just for the performance um, being that good, even though the movie is shitty around it. And I was close to doing that with this movie because he's that good. And if this movie were two hours long, I would have. The problem is this movie is two hours and 45 minutes long. Yeah, it's, and it's I cannot lot. justify someone sitting through that just for that performance, as good as it is. Well, I think of like the, the, like the Rami Malek, uh, 
Bohemian Rhapsody, right? right? Like yep. everything around that film is fucking trash. <laughs> but yep. like his performance and hearing Queen music is enough to be like, all right, it's worth the two hours or watching it on a plane ride, and like you'll have a smirk on across your face. But right. almost three hours. Yep. And the, and it's not an easy three hours because it's directed by Baz Luhrmann, so it is an assault on the senses. Let me yeah. tell you. Uh, I saw it in Dolby, which unlike. Maverick uh, was actually Top Gun Maverick was ended up actually being a bad idea because it was unacceptably loud. Uh, everyone in the audience too was like looking at each other like, is it supposed to be this loud? Like it was painfully loud. Uh, and there's all the noise and the women screaming at Elvis and amps yeah. giving feedback and stuff yeah. like that. And it was Crash just like zooms, flashes <laughs> going off. Yes, it was just classic Boz Lerman just messing up what if i'm telling you if any other competent director was given the story of elvis and austin butler as the performer it could have been a masterpiece this could have been like an all-timer could you imagine a spielberg a spielberg directed film of elvis with austin butler because i was listen i'm a huge huge elvis fan i'm a huge vegas fan but i'm also a huge elvis fan right and I was kind of iffy, and then the night or the day that you went, I sent you two videos. I saw, I sent you a video of Austin Butler on Jimmy yep. Fallon, The Tonight Show, talking about how he had to learn about how Elvis changed his voice throughout the years. It was going on like off script, and I was like, "This dude yep. sounds uncanny, just like him." And then Boz or the studio uh, released a pre-production um, video, yeah. Like a screen, yeah, like a pre-production screen test of like an acapella performance by Austin Butler just on stage playing guitar, singing, and I was like, "This dude sounds one thousand yeah. yep. percent like Elvis it's, Presley." He's so good. And if they, I'm telling you, you wouldn't even need Spielberg if you give it to, like, we know that Scorsese and Peter Jackson both love music and music movies. Like, they could do it. Even if you give it to James Mangold, who directed Walk the Line, like Scorsese loves music videos. He did like, uh, I mean, music. He did a whole bunch of. Didn't he do like the Rolling Stones documentary? Yep, he did the Rolling Stones doc. Yep. Yeah, like there's so disappointing. Boz is literally the worst possible director for this material, and it's so frustrating because of what could have been. Do you think um, come award season um, he gets his name on on a few ballots for his performance? I, it's hard. I, I don't know if... I mean, probably. I think I think it's a, a good enough... I certainly think it's a good enough performance if you try to isolate it. The problem is, will the people who vote for these things be able to cut through the noise of the movie to just hone in on that? Um, and you have to get past Tom Hanks' terrible performance. Rare for him, but it, it's pretty bad. Well, he's just in a fat suit talking like a German Colonel Sanders? <laughs> yeah, it's bad. It's bad. It, like, distractingly bad. Is he German? Uh, he sounds German in Colonel the trailer. Colonel Parker, uh, yeah, I don't Deutsch? know. He's, Euro- he's European in some way. It's it's tough. It's tough. I, I th- if there's like a supercut on YouTube of just the Austin Butler scenes, like just watch that and it will be just as good. Our next movie is Hustle. AJ, you'll be providing the review for this one. Oh, yeah. Oh. Uh, according to IMDb.com. A basketball scout discovers a phenomenal streetball player while in Spain and sees the prospect as his opportunity to get back into the NBA. AJ, should I go see it? Yeah, I mean, it was okay. I mean, I'm the resident non-basketball fan, and I quite enjoyed it. Okay. Uh, Few things. Netflix, Adam Sandler. 
Uh, for those who don't know, Adam Sandler is a huge, huge basketball guy. Yeah, big dude big loves ball. dude loves to ball. Um, so I think this was half like wet dream, half passion project <laughs> because he. I mean, in every single scene of the movie, besides one where he's at home, he's interacting with either a current. NBA legend or an NBA legend of all time, and it, you can just tell that it, like he's having the best time of his entire life. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. Um, Dude, he's been shoehorning basketball scenes into all of his movies since like yes. the mid nineties. Yeah, um, so he, you can tell that he's he just he loves it. Um, in terms of like story wise, it's basically I mean he he's a scout for the 76ers and it it basically is a rocky story but with basketball. He he finds this guy in Spain, he brings him back uh his mentor of uh, x amount of years uh who owns the 76ers in this fantasy world dies and his kid takes place of uh owner and CEO. And the kid's like a shithead, right? So like all of like the the me- mentoring and love that Adam Sandler's character got from all these years is like taken away overnight. And he tells him that this kid can't practice and go on the draft and be drafted. So it becomes this redemption story of Adam Sandler getting this kid ready to enter the NBA combine is basically the story behind it. And the the antagonist, uh, this this new owner, the owner's son, is that the one played by Ben Foster? Yes, and gotcha. it's it's so over the top. It's, um, oh, really? It's it's not good. It's not like yeah, a, it's not good. Okay, it's not good. And you, it's typical. I mean, Ben Foster is kind of hit or miss. I don't know. I don't like him. And this is just kind of in that same vein where he just acts like a smug prick, and I just can only take so much of it. Um, in terms of like acting wise, Adam Sandler actually knocks it out of the park. Like he is yeah. very good, clearly at the comedy type scenes um, and parts of the script. But the the drama parts, like wearing uh, emotional scenes, um, bringing like a reality to like a seems like to most people would be like a dream job, like but grounding it like the the travel, the junk food, the away from your family. Like I think he does it very well. Um, his wife is played by Queen Latifah when they're uh, on scene uh, in the same scene uh, on on screen together. He he blows her out of the water. I mean, it's, it's really not, oh yeah, next to him. It's just yeah. it's crazy to think about because um, you know in a lot of the roles that she's in, um, she does a phenomenal job. But for this some reason, it's like whenever they're on screen together, they just can't get into a good rhythm. Um, his daughter, uh, wonderful uh, casting there. Overall, like it's just a feel good movie, right? And okay. uh, my wife. I learned apparently is a huge basketball fan. Um, loved it, cried. You know, wow. it's, it's it's you know it's feel good, tropey, haunted past. <laughs> of course, uh, never say never. Past. Fight the man, like all of this stuff, kind of rolled into one. Um, so if you like basketball, you like Adam Sandler, you like a good dramedy. Um, it's a pretty soft flick. I'll have to check it out. I'm I'm not surprised that Sandler acts well in it. I know we've seen him do very well in dramatic roles. He doesn't take a ton of them, but, you know, Punch Drunk Love being the big one uh, in terms of breaking through to drama and then Uncut Gems sort of solidifying his dramatic chops. So not surprised. Um, so, yeah. I got, I got another one for you. Um, 2007, 
uh, Adam Sandler and Don Cheadle, a film called Rain Over Me. Did you ever watch that, hear of it? I know of it. That has to do with 9-11, right? Yeah, so he loses his entire family in 9-11. Right. And basically, he becomes this like recluse weirdo of the Upper West Side. And a, a guy went to his college roommate, sees him on the street one day, and is like, holy shit, is that what's his name? Right. And they kind of become entwined together. Um, and Don Cheadle pulls him into his universe and his family and all this stuff. Um, and Adam Sandler honestly gives like a probably the best performance of his career in that movie. Really, like if you don't cry during that movie, you're fucking robot. Android. Yeah, I, I remember it coming out. I have not seen it. Um, you know, you really have to be in a particular mindset to watch a nine eleven based film, and I just haven't sort of got myself up for it. But yeah, um, but that's good to know. Good to know. Yeah. So um, yeah, basketball. Adam Sandler. Um, Pretty soft flick. Co-produced by LeBron James. I believe Look so. Look at that. Yeah. And uh, shout out to LeBron. Sandler and Sandler and LeBron. Um, Tech launch of his new uh, tequila company. So um, hopefully he does well with that. And this, I'm, I'm reading that the co-star, the, the, the kid, the talent that is discovered is this uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez, who's a, a current NBA yeah, player. Yeah, that's current. Fun current NBA player how is the acting of the, the sports stars because we have seen I've seen movies where that works or doesn't uh, and if it doesn't it can be tough hit or miss because we when we watch shows like um, Entourage for instance where they like bring in these like random people in real life uh, sometimes they some, or the league yeah sometimes they go real oh, poorly these cameos are so uh, crazy, yeah like yeah. like for example um like Kenny Smith plays an agent in the league. His name's Leon. Crushes it. Like you could wow, never nice. tell. Like it does a really Kenny good the job. Jet. <laughs> yeah. There's other instances. Like I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Like there's a couple scenes with like Dr. J and nice. uh, who's that tall dude? Uh, the big Serbian. <laughs> Come on now. That narrows uh, it down. Oh, Boban, Boban uh, Marjanovic. It's just like, <laughs> dude, come on, like, just don't give him any lines because it's just brutal to watch. So, um, <laughs> who's that tall guy? Yeah, yeah in a exactly. movie about NBA stars, got it. So, um, yeah, over overall, like, but is the main guy good? Yeah, yeah, Juancho, the, the, that guy? Wa- yeah, he's he's good. His mom, the, the woman who plays his mom, Paula, um, and his daughter, Lucia, they actually do a phenomenal job as well. Um, the whole setup of how he finds him is is really cool too. Like it just it's paced well, um, but again, it, it it follows all of those tropes that like we've seen haunted past, uh, kid down on his luck, sure, uh, sure, blowing sure. every good chance that he's had. Um, so if you can get past that, um, it's a good good date night flick. Uh, well, AJ, you said that was a Netflix film, so that kind of takes us right into our next segment: Netflix and Bill. Um, I also watched a Netflix film that I'll touch on briefly. Don't need to do a full review for it. Um, it's called Spiderhead. Um, it's based on a, sh- it's based on a short story from the New Yorker where instead of a prison, incarcerated people can volunteer for psych drug testing in a remote compound run by Chris Hemsworth. Um, the fuck? Yeah. What it's got, fuck? it's got some ex machina vibes where Hemsworth is basically the Oscar Isaac role and Miles Teller is the other guy's role. Um, How do we feel? Can I interrupt you for two seconds? Sure. AJ hates Miles Teller. AJ hates Miles Teller so much. I mean, ever since I had heard a million things on Reddit and online that apparently he's the biggest fucking asshole in the world, I can't, I can't get over it. 
I haven't read those same things. Like I, he's just apparently he's just like a mean, like a mean person, like a shithead. I just feel like he's got one of those faces that AJ just doesn't like out of the box. Just wants to punch. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'm really good at compartmentalizing. I don't really follow the page six stuff, so I don't. I don't know. He's fine. He's a fine actor. Depending on the role, he's he can sometimes do better than other times. But um, anyway, I would have given Spiderhead a no personally. It didn't. I didn't love it. Um, but I do want to share. I could be wrong. Uh, I know it's. I've seen some people on Twitter tend to like it, and uh, I wanted to give you a review from friend of the show. Melissa says. Uh, I would give it a yes. It's not too long. It's definitely a movie made for Netflix when you're scrolling through and need something to watch. Both Miles and Chris give performances that stay consistent to their rising stardom. End quote. Wow. I just get, so, Melissa, thank you for why that. Why am I here? <laughs> you want to just have Melissa? Well, yeah, was that on a job application? <laughs> <laughs> Christ. She, she watched it and then she wanted to see what I thought and I ended up giving it a no and she was hoping that I would pull her review that was a yes and like use it verbatim. Does uh, this, is this something that happens to you in your life? Do people just send you like their takes on movies? Once in a while. Unsolicited? Once in a while it happens. So, so I could be wrong, but I, I, would give a, I would give a soft no. Melissa would give a yes. So there you go. But that's uh, from Netflix and Bill. That's, that's one thing I watched on Netflix. Okay. What else? Uh, I also watched uh, Westworld season four premiered this past week. <clears throat> You know, we had spoken about it previously and how season one is a masterpiece, season two is trash, season three was like a reinvention that was pretty good. And now season four, the first episode, they do a time jump of seven years from season three, and the whole first episode is just table setting of where are all our yeah. characters now. And I, I watched like a three and a half minute, like previously on montage, and I still have no clue what's happening. Um, so I don't know. I, the, the thing about this show is I love, love, love the production value. I love the way it looks. I love the way it's directed. I love the atmosphere they create. And in any given scene, I can kind of, I, I know what's happening in the wants and desires of the characters. So I can follow it on a micro level. On a macro level, I couldn't tell you what's going on at all. Um, and it's a very much a puzzle box show, which some people like, some people don't. But, you know, uh, again, I, I like a lot of things about it. Um, so I'll keep going. But um, it's lost a little luster for me. No doubt about that. Interesting. Um, and I believe you and I are still watching The Boys. What do you think so far of this season? Um, There's only a few episodes left now. Fucking love it. I'm, I'm, I'm all in on The Boys. Yep. I have one more episode to be caught up before Friday. I'm going to try to watch it tonight. Um, but can we... The guy who plays Homelander... I'm can telling we get, you. Can we get him... To All have his own show or movie or something because yeah. he is a psychopath <laughs> that deserves much more credit than he gets. Best performance on television, hands, hands down. down. Hands down. It's not even close. Um, so yeah, boys, I'm all in it. And I think the three of us... <laughs> it's funny because it appears as if neither one of you knows his name. It's I couldn't Anthony, tell you what it is. Anthony, <laughs> Anthony, I, I want to say it's Anthony Starr. Ed, Edward Starr. Anthony Starr, yeah. Called it. I had it. Come on. I just feel like if we're going to elevate him to the status of the best working actor currently, we should not say the guy who plays Homelander. Okay, That's how good he is. That's, that's how good he is. He inhabits the role. He is Homelander. Role. Yes. Anthony Starr. Um, I knew the name for the record. Go ahead. <laughs> so, boy is going to be caught up, and then I believe the, all three of us have been caught up and wrapped um, with Barry. That's correct. Yes, this, you're right. That the Forgot that the, it Which ended. Was season a, ended. A slow burn and boring start of that season. Yeah, fucking the 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 locomotive 
like was put on all the way forward blast and someone took their hands off the wheel and those last four episodes three episodes were fucking wild yeah the last two especially and i love that they ended on a truly game-changing story moment that will change the complexion of next season versus some shows you can tell that like it's just going to be a little bit more the same or a slight variation. Like, this is like, no, no, no. They're getting towards an end, an end game here. And we know That's there's going to be another season, right? Yeah. Renewed right. for season four. Oh, so interesting. That, like, that was one of the problems that I had with Dexter. It's like every season ended yep. on that. Like, one thing that could get him caught, but it never, it like never happens. So you're like, right. so we're just going to, we're just going to edge ourselves for <laughs> fucking eight years until, you know, it just, it just resolves and he never gets caught. That was always my issue with with Entourage, too. I stopped that show halfway through because every season ended with his movie coming out. Either it bombs or it's wildly successful. They alternated, basically, and then he would be off to shoot his next movie. And it was just like the same like rinse and repeat every season. So I do appreciate Barry having much more of a, of a big ending. Uh, all right. What's coming up on the horizon? Any new releases, movies? Yeah, the big one is Thor. Uh, Thor Love and Thunder comes out um, when does it come out I don't know oh I bought our tickets already I, I did buy tickets in the hopes that you would join me yes yeah sure um, that is shit 18th. where is it I'm looking at my calendar I literally can't find it anymore great guess we're not going yeah apparently not oh July 7 July 7 uh, so yeah Thor, Thor comes out um, I have not watched any trailers I'm going in fresh I'm very excited I really enjoyed Ragnarok um, I'm excited for an MCU movie, um, you know, that has more of the people we're accustomed to and a director that we're accustomed to. So uh, I'm excited. And I hopefully feel better by then because I would love to crush some Jameson's and eat some peanut m and theater with you. Uh, all right, I'm going to bed. Thank you for listening to the Should I Go See It podcast. Please make sure to follow on Instagram at Should I Go See It. <laughs> <laughs>